The presenting sponsor of EgoCheck with the NDM is RPG Research. RPG Research is an open international community sharing, studying, and providing accessible and inclusive collaborative music and games to help improve people's lives. They are a 501c3 research and human services nonprofit, 100% volunteer run organization. They provide music and role playing game research in addition to community programs using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. Uh, Some of the populations that they've worked with in the past are individuals with ADHD, anxiety, individuals on the autism spectrum, individuals dealing with depression, impulse control, and other mental health issues. RPG Research openly shares and works with individuals and organizations from many areas of interest with the goal of improving the overall human condition through cooperative experiential learning programs using music and games. For more information about the resources available and their services, visit rpgresearch.com. That site again is rpgresearch.com. And with the show, I'm excited to bring back Enrique Bertrand back onto the show, better known as Newbie DM. Enrique and I first talked on the pod a couple of years ago, and at that time we were talking about Tomb of Annihilation and some other D&D topics, including how D&D was becoming more into the mainstream. In this episode, we get into another element of D&D becoming a little bit more popular and mainstream with the recent success of Critical Role. We talked about the Critical Role Kickstarter, what that means for the hobby, and I was really interested to get his thoughts as he's a producer, an Emmy-winning producer, uh, television programming, to find out how streaming could be uh, used in a similar way to promote other games, other intellectual properties. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about how that might work for Star Wars and Fantasy Flight Games, which puts out Edge of the Empire, which I've played and blogged about in, in the past. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll be back with another episode next week. I'll be meeting with the gentleman from the Critical Core role-playing game system. Uh, they have a Kickstarter going on, and uh, it's doing fantastically well. There's a lot of support for that product, and they're really doing some great work on helping individuals with autism, teaching them skills through role-playing games. So that will be a fascinating conversation. In the meantime, enjoy the conversation with Enrique. to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and returning to Ego Check is Enrique, newbie DM. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen us go back and forth over the years, and he was a previous guest on Ego Check back in October 2017, I believe. So, Enrique, welcome back. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Has it been that long already? 2017? 2017, yeah, almost two years now. Wow. And just last, was it last fall that you were up here in Minneapolis and we got together? It was. It was right around the end of the year last year at some point. I was up in Minneapolis for work. Yeah, and I went to to meet you and I think we were laughing because both of our wives were worried about us. Yeah, we're going to kill you, each other. Why would you go meet this stranger? <laughs> who, do, who is this person? Do you know this person? I'm like, oh, it's my friend from Twitter. <laughs> my friend from Twitter. Who is this internet stranger? <laughs> so we were at... Uh, good. Yeah, we went to have a beer. Yeah, at the bar comparing text messages from our wives. Are you still alive? Are you there? Who is this person? And then I tried to kill you, and well, you got away. I, thankfully, I, cooler hits prevailed. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have been writing at Newbie DM for quite a long time. And you've also been doing kind of dabbling in some streams, podcasting off and on. You got a lot of irons in the fire right now, including a new Patreon page. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just launched that that Patreon. So I'm kind of like, um, you know, in, in the real world, I work in television, which is often considered old media. Now, you've won not one but two Emmys, I cur- believe, correct? 
two, correct. Yeah, yeah and hope and and, and uh, we're recording this on April first. Uh, on Wednesday, April third, it'll announce the nominees for this year's uh, batch, and I hope to uh, I hope to be able to celebrate at least a nomination on Wednesday. So we'll see. Excellent. Well, good luck, and not an April Fool's joke. You are a two-time Emmy winner. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so as I was saying, the, the old media television thing, and now I feel like I'm an old media D and D blogger, right? Because I started blogging back in 2010 when streams and and podcasts were kind of uh, podcasts were a thing, but streams certainly weren't. Certainly not gaming streams, right? So all we had were all we had were blogs and and, and message boards and whatnot and Twitter and. And suddenly this whole streaming thing came up and a lot of us, well, not a lot of us, but at least I certainly feel like I got, you know, sort of passed by this tidal wave of of new media, <laughs> kind of like what's happening with television now, mm-hmm. almost. So, so there's a real, there's a fun, um, a fun thing going on there between my job and my, my hobby at the same time. So it's been interesting to watch the, the growth of, of the streams and the YouTube videos and whatnot in, in the hobby. Uh, streams killed the blogging star. Video killed. What is it? Video uh, killed the radio star. V- video killed streams the right. killed so the blogging star. Streams killed the bo- the blogging star. Yeah, correct. It's it's been fun. Well, so I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to dabble into it a little bit. I I, I sort of got him getting my feet wet in that. But I I'm gonna be honest with you. And you're you're a um, you're a licensed therapist, right? You're a psychologist. I, that is true. Yes. Yeah. So so I have a huge um, anxiety about public speaking and, and public appearances and, and seeing myself on video and, and hearing myself talk. So it's kind of, I got to work through that before I can really go f- full into the whole streaming business thing and, and putting myself out there, which is kind of why I started the Patreon, kind of like to force myself to have to do it because I want to do it. It's just very scary for me to do it. So With the television work, you're on the production side? Correct. Yes, yeah, so I'm an executive producer for uh, for one of the uh, two national Spanish language networks um, in the United States. So I do all my stuff behind the scenes. I don't I don't work in front of the camera. Although I have done some stuff in front of the camera, but very little and very limited. So on the maybe on the front end of trying to put together ideas for streams for your Patreon page for putting together some content is. Is that a part that you enjoy at the moment, designing, the, like coming up with an idea and trying to execute it? I do. I, I, I'm a producer at heart, right? Like a lot of my job now, I, I've as I've grown in my career, a lot of I'm leaving a lot of producing behind, and I've done. I'm, I'm moving more into management and the whole business side of things, which is a different kind of fun. But my heart is really in producing. Um, so the chance to work on streams and come up with like. And, and it's completely different from television, right? Because, like, you know, the overlays and the, the graphics and stuff like that. It's just, it's fun for me. Like, it's a hobby that I I like spending time designing that sort of thing. So, I don't know. I'm looking to get into it. But it's, you know, like I said, I got to get past some some little hurdles there that I put in front of myself, really. So. Well, and, and it ties into one of the topics that I wanted to chat with you about uh, since since I, I got you here on the show uh, a few weeks ago, we were going back and forth online about just sort of coming up with ideas and talking about the critical role success. You know, they have a Kickstarter that's last I checked over eight million dollars to do their animated series. Right. I had spoken with a previous guest who was filling me in about the ins and outs um, about how Critical Role does and does not relate to Wizards of the Coast and cleared up some of my misconceptions about that, which I was appreciative of. Um, and as I was trying to figure this all out a few weeks ago, you had made some comments about how it seems like the landscape is very ripe for other franchises, other intellectual properties to try to do something similar or to use streaming and fan engagement as a way to further their brand. And you come with this background of, you know, television network television experience and kind of being in the mindset of how these big companies think. Um, so we were going back and forth a bit and I just thought it'd be great to have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation on those topics here on the show. So now that we've had a few weeks to sort of marinate on, 
critical role success and what that might mean how do you think other properties like star wars for example because that's the one we kind of spend most time on how could that do something similar what are what are the possible benefits what are the possible roadblocks i mean i i yeah i i use star wars as an example because i and and could be Marvel, could be Star Wars. There's any number of properties that could. Yeah, but let's use Star Wars because Star Wars is like a big media franchise. Um, they they do film now. They're getting into into TV with the with the streams uh, that they're doing for the Disney service. Uh, they're launching a, an audio play um, soon that I've been reading about. So they're getting into media. They're comic books and books, and they're, they're multimedia. Star Wars is a multimedia property now. It's not just a, a series of movies. Oh, yeah. Um, they license and, everything. Yeah, they license everything. But I was I was looking at Critical Role, and I was thinking, how in the world is Star Wars not – how is, how is uh, Fantasy Flight Games not using this as a – as an opportunity to grow their game and, and create a, a new – thing for their for their rpg through star wars like star wars is a pretty you know pretty popular thing right you'd, you'd think that a lot of people would with a good cast would be watching it week in and week out as a game right it'd be an interesting thing for lucasfilm to partner with ffg and sort of create an official canon or you know storyline using the role-playing game like to me if i were a marketer at either one of those two companies, I'd be all over that, trying to make that happen, right? Especially given the the, the, the success of something like Critical Role. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't watch Critical Role. I'm not, I'm not in the audience of Critical Role, so I don't know what makes Critical Role. Um, it, it seems like they somehow caught lightning in a bottle there, but I'm not sure what it is about Critical Role that people tune in for. Is it the actors? Is it the storyline? Is it the... Uh, I'm not really sure what what they're offering people that people are so passionate about, but clearly they're passionate about something. And and my um, understanding from talking with, with James Hake, uh, the gentleman who's kind of co-author of the campaign setting for Critical Role, that, that's a book that you can get. And from some other people who educated me about how Critical Role has developed over the years is I think the Kickstarter is more of an extension of people are excited about Critical Role and that, brand itself and it's not it's partially about D, but not really like critical role is the brand that's what they're supporting it's like they just happen to be playing D, and certainly those things fuse together uh because D is you know a probably the most prominent tabletop role-playing game um, but critical role those people have been at it for five years now so it's not just something that happened overnight and i don't know of any type of star wars game that's streaming that is that prominent that's been around for that long doesn't mean it can't get off the ground and start working um but but critical role has been toiling away for for many years now well sure but i mean you put a marketing muscle behind anything and suddenly everybody's going to hear of it i mean it's uh, you know I, I just don't think they're interested in doing it and i just wonder if you're if you're maybe if you're Lucasfilm you don't really care because you don't need to right like Lucasfilm has so much money coming in that you know but if you're a company like FFG why wouldn't and, and I'm assuming they you know maybe they have explored it I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm completely out of line here and and maybe someone from FFG can chime in and, and give us some background but if I'm FFG why wouldn't I be trying to to get something like this going for Star Wars, which is such a powerful brand. And to me, and I've always said this, and a lot of people disagree with me, but I, I, I still think that Star Wars, even even maybe more so than D&D, is a fantastic on-ramp to role-playing games. Just because the, the story is so, like, universal, and, and everybody knows Star Wars. I mean, you know, Star Wars isn't some niche thing that only certain people know. Like, everybody's heard of it. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody has at least some some kind of knowledge about it i don't know if you could say the same thing about D D. um but star wars certainly i think i think if i were introducing someone to an rpg i may even start with star wars over dungeons and dragons um so i don't know i just i, I think it'd make it it would make a real interesting marketing thing to sort of push a stream 
you know, using that brand. I'm surprised that that they're not trying that or it's not happening. And you could do so many things with it. Like you could link it to the official canon. You could, because at the end of the day, you know, who cares if it's part of? They can say, oh, it's part of the canon. Like, is it ever going to bump into one of the movies? Is it ever going to cause such a disruption in the canon that it, you know, they wouldn't do it? No, you carve out a little corner somewhere for the role-playing game, and you could say it's canon all you want and give lip service to that, and it doesn't really have to interfere with anything. You know what I mean? Like, you can make it official, and, and you know, it lives in a little corner of the galaxy somewhere where it'll never interfere with anything else. You could say it's official, and it's a stream, and it's, you know, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a missed opportunity. More for FFG than for Lucasfilm. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great opportunity. Um, one of the things we were going back and forth about is, you know, something that interesting that Kyle Newman, one of the authors of Art and Arcana, had um, talked with me about is just the difference between D&D and Star Wars and how D&D, everyone creates their own version of it, even if everyone has played Tomb of Horrors. You've all played that module maybe a little bit differently. Maybe it resolved itself in different ways. Whereas with Star Wars, everyone saw the same film and had those same moments. And, you know, Vader reveals who he is to Luke. And, like, everyone experienced that the same way, more or less. Um, whereas D&D, there's more freedom to kind of create your own story. I, I think in Star Wars, there's less of that. And I wonder if that would be a barrier for some people getting into a role-playing game in that world, I mean, D and D has the the advantage of of um, well, I mean, we're describing two different things, right? Like Star Wars, the films are passive because mm-hmm. you're just sitting there watching them. But you're but the D and D, the old D and D, like Tomb of Horrors, for example. I mean, that's a that's an active you're an active participant in that story, right? You and I weren't active participants in Empire Strikes Back. We we're just watching the same movie. We, we had we had no say in how that movie played out, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at um, Tatooine Manhunt, which is the first module released for the Star Wars D6 role-playing game back in the day, Tatooine Manhunt, which you could say maybe it's the Tomb of Horrors of D6 Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, we all had different experiences playing through that and how that turned out. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to compare the movies to, to a D&D module because they're just two different, one's active and one's passive. But if what you're talking about is sort of with Star Wars having an established storyline and people having to maneuver around it so they don't bump into it with their games, I guess, yes. But yes and no, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you could argue the same thing happens in D&D with the Forgotten Realms, right? Like, the Forgotten Realms has 30 years of backstory and NPCs and lore that you got to sort of work your way around. And and the, the, the 5e modules these days do a, a do a decent job of, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. They include little people here and there in the modules, characters that, that are part of D&D's lore that you get to bump into and interact with, but... Yeah, it's not like you're changing much of the of the established canon. Yeah. So putting on your producer hat here, and you, you started talking a little bit about this, but if you were to set this up, how how would you go about doing it? So I'd probably carve out a so I'd probably carve out a, a sector in the galaxy that's never been talked about before so something new right the outer outer rim uh, yeah somewhere yeah somewhere in the outer rim so here's the sector sector i don't know call it galaxy i don't know sector x right and the stream will take place in sector x and sector x is a sector in the galaxy where the empire is setting up shop and and a planet is being sucked out of its natural resources because of the empire and you guys play a group of heroes uh, fighting the empire in this sector and trying to save your planet from getting its resources wiped out, right? That's fairly interesting, I guess, in a way that it wouldn't really have much to do with the movies at all, right? Sure. And you could sort of live there and you could sort of have adventures there and, and make a difference there without needing to ever bump into Han Solo or Lando Calrissian, the Death Star, or, or, a Star Star, or Darth Vader, right? Right. And that's, I guess that's how I would do it. Sort of like, uh, the old, um, in D&D, the old R- the RPGA, 
used to have a living city for the Fergano realms. I, I forget the name of it now, and somebody I'm sure will, will – will, I'm trying to remember what the name of that city was. The Fergano realms, they created a city just for the RPGA, and it was set in that city. Right, and and your players came from that city, and and things happened in and around that city, and you know that's that's where you adventured, and it was new, and and it didn't really uh, interfere too much with the rest of the Forgotten Realms. It was sort of oh, I think it was called Raven's Bluff. Okay. Raven's Bluff, the Living City. I think it was even called the Living City because it was for Living Forgotten Realms, I think, or RPGA or something like that. Anyways, it was just uh, they carved out a, a place on the map for this, and, and that's where people adventured. And I think I would probably do the same for Star Wars. I would create a little a little sector out there for these streams to live in, and I would give it lip service by saying, "Oh, now it's official canon," you know, and maybe in a novel somewhere mention the sector, which is what they're doing. For example, they're doing that with the world they're building at Disney, right? Mm-hmm. So the Disney Star Wars land, and I forgot the name of it now, but they name check it in 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 like a new cartoon in the Resistance cartoon. Okay. So one of the characters comes from there. Whatever it's called, I forgot the name of it. But you know, you tie it into the bigger picture, even if it's just with a throwaway line. But now it's part of the canon. So now that Disney World is part of the canon because they mentioned it in Resistance. And that's really all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a greater, you know, anything beyond that. Sure. Well, and the nice thing with, with Star Wars is you have these, and I guess to some extent with, with D&D too, but with Star Wars you have these different eras. And I know the Fantasy Flight Games rule books have, have done this where, you know, there's the Edge of the Empire. That's the game I've played and have had fun with it a few years ago. Um, so you can play in kind of the original trilogy setting, you could play in the Clone Wars setting, that time frame, and now there's this First Order setting with the new movies, and there's different places in between where you could just carve out a time period and say, okay, here's where we are, here's the setting, here's the state of the galaxy, here's where we start. That's uh, it. And, you know, it could tie into Rebels, or Resistance, or the original movies, or the prequels, or... You know, these this most recent set of films where there's so much undefined, you know, there's there's really so much we don't know about what's happened between the original trilogy and now that mm-hmm. that time frame would be an amazing place to explore. And, yeah, maybe once in a while you run into a character you kind of know, not one of the main people, but it's like, oh, right, that was that that person and that thing. Sure. OK, that's it. And it, it's at least a link, but for the most part, everyone's just out sort of doing their own thing. Doing their own thing and not butting into each other. And I think one of the the resources they have is certainly a, a wealth of voice talent from their animated shows, from different games. Um, you know, similar to the Critical Role folks, they're all voice actors. I mean, do you know how many people in my industry, in the TV and, and film industry, say that, the reason they got into production work or movies or writing or it was because of Star Wars. Like it's a huge cultural thing for people, at least people my age, right? Like, you know, I'm a Gen Xer guy. I'm in my forties. Like so many people love that franchise that it would, I would find it very hard to believe that people of that generation who work as voice actors or, or do that, that type of, you know, do that for a living wouldn't be interested in something like that. You know, right. If someone came along and said, hey, as a side gig, we'd like you yeah. once a week, uh, voice this bounty hunter for a few hours a week and maybe do some other work with it. And I, I'm not diminishing the work that the folks on Critical Role are doing by any means. I, I know I, I can only imagine all the work that goes into that. Um, but to bring people on board and really create an audience, you know, to have the same people inhabit a character and build up some interest and fan <laughs> loyalty. It seems like there's talent out there to do that. I mean, I, I think the hardest part would be finding people who are interested in the game uh, over the franchise, right? Because at the end of the day, you still got to care about the game you're playing because otherwise you're not being honest to it. I mean, you know, we could spot a fake a mile away, right? Like you can't you can't pretend to like a role playing game for a paycheck, right? That's just not. You, you'd be able to you'd be able to say, wait a minute, you know. This, so so first and foremost, you got to love playing games. I think. Which the cast of Critical Role 
you know, you could tell they all enjoy playing the game they're playing. It's not like you could just sit an actor there to play a Star Wars role-playing game and, and you know, he's going to f- act his way through a game for two hours. So I think first and foremost, you got to find people who love the game and, and are willing to play it on camera. And the fact that they're voice actors would be a bonus, which is kind of the lightning in a bottle that Critical Role found, right? They happen to, they happen to all be voice actors who enjoyed playing D&D together. So I think that's where the... That's the hardest part of it, I think. That's the, that's where the heavy lifting comes in. So, which may be a way of explaining why it isn't happening, you know. But I just think of even this month we have Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, which I was hoping to go to. Um, my wife's cousin has been an artist there previously, and this time it just it didn't work out for him to go. So, I've been his booth babe in the in the past, selling stuff at his table, and now. Since he doesn't have a table, I'm not going. So I'm kind of sad about that. But thinking about Celebration and all the different panels they have and the way they promote stuff, like this could be a thing. Like, come to the panel and meet the meet the cast of this oh, stream. Yeah. Absolutely, song. like a like a live like a live one, like they do for uh, the acquisitions incorporated. Acquisitions incorporated, right? Yeah, that'd be cool. And I think people would would be into that. I, I I think it would it would take some time, um, and certainly with the fantasy flight rules for Star Wars, the the <clears throat> dice at first are a little weird to get used to, and I like it because it's a very narrative system and approach, and there's a lot of back and forth between the GM and the players. But I, I think that type of stuff you can work out and. You can have little tutorials and sort of educate people as the stream's going on. Um, but once you sort of see it in action for a few minutes, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. But you imagine you have a, you imagine like, and I'm thinking like a producer now, right? Yeah. Like if you Which had all the, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted you, yeah, put on that producing. Yeah, like if you had all the resources to your disposal, right? Or, or at least some, some of the resources, right? Like, so like if I were running one of these streams, at a theater for at the Star Wars celebration, like I'd have on the screen an actual scroll going with the music, you know, the the, the Star Wars scroll with the story set up for the game, and I'd have like music playing throughout the game, you know, Star Wars like like library music, you know, Star Wars music and sound effects. Like if there's a fight going on, I'd have like laser, you know, the blaster bolts flying and yeah, just, you can almost do it like a radio show. <laughs> yeah, man, it'd be so cool. Right? It's I wish I could produce something like that. <laughs> That'd be neat. That'd be neat. I mean, I try, you're, you're getting ready to start a stream. Maybe you just need to do it. I, you know, I, I've thought about it so much. Like, I, I do create, like, I, one of the things I do enjoy doing on my spare time is creating, like, splash pages for my Roll20 games. Yeah, I've seen some of the stuff that you put together with, like, kind of the intros of here's the planet or here's the landscape. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, and I have, like, a whole archive of, like, stuff I've done for a hypothetical star wars game that i've never run <laughs> it's i just enjoy doing that stuff you know uh, i have a whole bunch of like i call them establishing shots right for deep for roll 20 where i try to like set up a mood with them right um so there's one with the scroll and the start of the campaign and the you know sort of like the pan down into the planet like in the movies these are all these are all stills. They're not video. They're done through stills, you know. But I, I lay them out like comic book panels, almost like um, like comic book pages. Um, well, and I wrote years ago because I know there's at least one site that you can create your own Star Wars crawl, where you just type in the text and the music, and it pops up. And I, my um, Grant, the same guy who was, you know, I was at the Star Wars Celebration convention with previously. When he was running our Edge of the Empire campaign, that's what he did. So at the start of every session, there was a summary of what happened before and kind of leading into the next game, uh, which just put everybody in the mood. You're like, all right, let's play Star Wars. <laughs> it was yeah. just, and you could certainly do that at the beginning of the stream, no doubt. Yeah, I think there's definitely, if you're into producing, um, this whole business of streaming is a whole new. Um, it's a whole new avenue for you to, to to stretch your creative muscles and your 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 producing muscles a bit. And there's plenty of room for good producers in the area too, because I just I've seen some stuff and I don't you know that that I'm like oof I wish I could 
help produce that better. <laughs> well, and your first stream will pale in comparison to your 10th, to your 20th, to your 100th. Yeah. And I, I think the challenge is, especially in the social media world, where you're always comparing to everybody else that's been doing something for a long time, is like, ah, I don't know if I want to get started. And I, I think the the trick is just to get started. Just start putting, start getting practice, start putting yourself out there. And there's a lot of work that goes into it, too. Like, I've tried doing some streams, and I've always had issues with the audio, and just, like, the lip sync is off, and this and that. And it's like, man... I'm I'm here struggling with this. Is it worth it? And and I think it is worth it because what's wrong with learning something new and what's wrong with jumping, you know, into something, into a new facet of 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 our old hobby, you know? So let, let's hash this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna push you a little bit here. So you, yeah, you're the GM for the up and coming fantasy flight game, Star Wars role playing game series, right? Or, what Star Wars era are you most interested to explore? I think I would probably explore the current movie era. Okay. Even though I'm not a huge fan of this era even existing, I, I would still probably explore it. Only because it's so wide open, right? Mm-hmm. There's really not a whole lot going going on right now in it. So why not? Everything else we've explored already, you know, a lot of. I mean, how much more can we fit into the original trilogy era? We've, we've, I think we've seen everything there is to see there. <laughs> so with, as you're telling players, okay, here's the synopsis. We're in the, the so I, order so, era. So I have an idea. I've actually have an idea for a campaign that I would run this era, right? So, and this is excellent. And this is, keep in mind, this episode nine hasn't come out yet, and this could totally go, you know, south once episode nine comes out, right? But we, we could be pre-episode nine now. Pre-episode nine. So I, I've always thought that at the end of the Last Jedi, Princess Leia sends out General Leia sends out her distress signal, and nobody answers it, right? You remember that in The Last Jedi? Yes. So I always thought that that distress signal would make a great MacGuffin, right? That someone records it somewhere, and it suddenly becomes a MacGuffin that the First Order wants um, for whatever reason. Maybe to track it, maybe to maybe to try to decode it, maybe – I don't know. This Princess Leia's distress signal becomes a MacGuffin that the First Order is after, and the PCs somehow get their hands on – Oh, yeah, accidentally, right? So they become these unwilling participants in a story um, where they're carrying General Leia's secret distress signal that they somehow intercepted across the galaxy, and they're the only people who intercepted it because the movie told us that nobody answered, right? So we're sort of back to the beginning of A New Hope, but not really. So we're sort of back to the beginning of A New Hope. So it's a throwback to that, but but different. But different, right? I like it. So, and then in my theoretical campaign... Um, there is someone willing to pay a huge amount of money for that signal who is not the first order. And I always thought that that person would be Lando Calrissian, right? Um, so he's working sort of behind the scenes. The, the PCs don't know who it is, but there's someone looking for this too who's willing to pay some money. So they're trying to find him and avoid the first order and this whole thing. Uh, but basically all dealing with this MacGuffin of Leia's distress call, and that's kind of the campaign that I would would run. Um, of course, with Episode Nine coming, who knows how badly that would fare? But <laughs> that's that was me thinking as a as a GM leaving the theater after Episode Eight. And so, so. with with a campaign or even a, a show where you have this ongoing cast of characters, and do you, would you see the Characters as part of the resistance, as a collection of different people with varying ties to the resistance. What do you think the the cast would be? Uh, well, I, I think Episode Eight sort of settled that the resistance, the entire resistance, fit inside the Millennium Falcon. So, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a lot of room to be in the resistance. Plus, I've always, every time I've played an RPG, a Star Wars RPG, I always. Uh, 
I always lean more towards the independent contractor smuggler type. I just I, I've got too much of Han in me. Right. <laughs> right. Just trying to make ends meet, you know. Just try, yeah, just trying to make my way across the galaxy. So so probably not. Probably not resistance. Actually actually the way I start the campaign, uh I, I start I, I would start it the way I have it set up now. I, I have the PC starting in a swamp planet um, where they work as, um, and this is cliche, but Star Wars is cliche. They work in a swamp uh, mining or pulling swamp uh, gas out of a swamp and uh, in, in a swamp. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a, and it comes from the D6, the the West End Games game. It's a it's a starport in a in a swamp, and it's kind of like a small settlement where people go to hide basically. And, and it's like a smuggling island. It's like an island in a swamp. And there's kind of like a cantina there, and there's some general shops there, and some mechanics and stuff. But people go to the swamp to pull um, gas out of the swamp. I love it. I went so, to Wikipedia and typed in swamp gas, and sure enough, there is a page devoted to it. So, yeah, I think it's called Galgarond or something like that, or I don't remember the name of it now. But there, there's a planet that D6 came up with where people would just go to avoid the Empire, and it was like a swamp gas world. So they work at this settlement, you know, pulling gas out of the swamp, and they somehow get they get pushed into this adventure with this recording that falls in their lap, basically, that we come to find out later came from General Leia and the Resistance and blah, blah, blah. And hijinks ensue. And hijinks. It's a typical call-to-adventure type scenario. You know, zero to hero. So I guess that's what I would do. Yeah. And see, the, the, the interesting thing about Star Wars as a playing game is, I think in terms of settings and D and D and other systems, you can certainly do this too. But with space travel, I mean, even getting off the planet like that in and of itself can be an adventure. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we get off this planet? How do we get a ship? Earning a ship. I mean, a lot of the tweets you've had recently are kind of gearing up for the new product, uh, Salt Marsh. Yeah. You know, it seems like a big deal will be, well, how do the players get a ship? At least mm. it seems like that would be a fun part of that adventure instead of just here's your ship. Like them having to obtain a ship or fix a ship, like that just seems like a fun component to play around with in a, in a session or many sessions. So I know when we played Edge of the Empire, one of the first things we had to do was <laughs> we had to find a ship. And it was a big deal. Well, so one of the things I came up with in for this Swamp Planet, funny you should ask is that um, there's a part in the swamp called the graveyard where it's all a bunch of ships that have crashed into the swamp, right? Sure. So one of the things that happens in the campaign is that their starting ship actually comes out of the graveyard, so they got to beat up old freighter um, out of the swamp and fly away in that. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings in all kinds of awesome, like, Falcon, right. like, oh, this isn't working. Something right. just went out. Being pursued, you got to fix uh, it. Exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, speaking of Salt Marsh, have you ever played Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh? I have not. It's one of the covers that I had decoupaged my gaming table with. Mm-hmm. Not the book itself. I made copies. Don't everyone get mad? I didn't cut up any books. Um, but I've always known that to be one of the more iconic modules from back in the day i've never played it though yeah so it it came out of the uh, the tsr uk office um back in the 80s that was one of the ones when when tsr set up a, a satellite office in the united kingdom um that was i think that was their first module and you actually do get a ship in that module um, which I'm assuming is the same thing that happens in the 5e version. Spoilers for a 40-year-old adventure, by the way. Right. There's a ship there called the Ghost, which I think is where the title Ghost of Salt Marsh comes from. But spoilers. And that's the title. Of, that's the name of the ship in Rebels. 
You are correct. It is the name of the one at all in full circle. Wow. So have I convinced you to do this as part of your streaming, and can I be a player? <laughs> you could be a player. You haven't convinced me yet to do it as a stream. No, I, I've actually set up two streams. Listen, I so this Patreon that I have going, right, which today I think is the first day that, that – Actually, my patrons get charged. I just, I really just started it. Um, one of the things that I've committed to doing is doing more streaming, right? And I've set up two shows already. I've, um, by that, I mean I've set up the graphics and stuff like that. So I have a show called uh, um, Let's Create with NubiDM, which is basically a show where I plan to, through through the chat, come up with something with the audience, right? Whether it's an NPC or a, or, an, or a settlement or, or an adventure seat or something using the DMG's random charts as our sort of uh, our guide rails, right? The DMG for 5e has a lot of random charts to create a bunch of stuff. You could create villages, you could create cities, you could create NPCs, you could create adventures, motivations, blah, blah, blah. So I thought it'd be cool to just roll randomly in these charts, create stuff, and then together with the audience come up with, you know, fill in the, the story blanks. And then I have another one called Newbie DM's Workshop, which... I'm not quite sure what I wanted to do with it just yet. I think I might be something where we create adventures um, and then put them out there for people to run, you know, free of charge or whatever. Um, so, so I'm still working through those. So I do have plans to, to stream, but really what I want to focus more on is podcasting. Like I really enjoy podcasting as a, as a medium, you know. What do you enjoy most about it? I know we've done a couple of podcasts here, and I know you've been on with Mike Shea and some other folks in the past. Like, What, what do you most enjoy about it? Um, I, I, I enjoy talking to people, like, and I enjoy, I enjoy the anonymity of radio. Right. Like no one has to look at no one has to look at me while I'm talking to you. Right. I could be sitting here in my underwear and uh, no one has to know. Right. <laughs> it's a kid friendly show. Keep it careful. <laughs> <laughs> like, Keep it classy. I, I don't know. It's just it's fun. It's 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 like old school. Right. Like podcasting. Hmm. You could be doing video. Why would you do podcasting? I don't know. Because it's fun. Because it's different. Because it's it's radio. It's I don't know. I enjoy the production of it. I enjoy editing audio. I enjoy I don't know. I can't I can't answer your question to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it's just I, I like it. I like doing it. I mean, I can to jump in. I think you know I've listened to podcasts for many years now. Um, previous job, I had to drive around a lot and would be in the car for like eleven hundred miles a month and. It was right when podcasts were starting, so it was around 2008 mm -hmm. or so, and it wasn't really a widespread thing, but I had found a few I really liked, and it's, there's an intimacy to them that yeah. I find really interesting and in some ways a little unsettling, because I was listening to these podcasts, um, for example, like Kevin Smith and his friends, they were they were doing these podcasts back in those, those days, and I stories started to realize like I know more about their lives than my own friends because I don't talk to my friends as much as I listen to these guys each week and it creates this weird like shift in reality of sorts it's like, oh I know these people they're my friends but they have no idea who I am um, but that that intimate kind of recording between people where they're having real conversations they're just talking back and forth or having these nuanced conversations it's really interesting to listen to and if you produce that hone in on some topics and you can really go in some interesting directions and i've certainly enjoyed doing it from my end of of interviewing folks and i've also been invited on a few and it's it's been enjoyable it certainly has more depth to a conversation than reddit or twitter or oh yeah trying to type back and forth but i've also i've always been a talk radio guy i've always loved listening to talk radio uh, ever since I was in my 20s, I used to work a real boring job when I was in my 20s. I did data entry for an insurance company. Um, I'm talking about like what, like mid mid 90s, right? Okay. And so I did data entry, and I used to take a little transistor radio with me to work, and I would listen to talk radio in the afternoons with a little headset on while I was doing my data entry, and I got really used to that. And and I when I you know in the car I started listening to talk radio and I I'm a huge 
fan of Howard Stern, for example, so I listened, you know, back when he was on, on open radio, I used to listen to a lot of Howard Stern. Uh, so I've always enjoyed talk radio, and, and to me, I guess, podcasting is almost like a throwback to that, right, to to my talk radio era. Um, I don't know. I just I really enjoy it. I really enjoy listening to people talk, and and I I really I learn a lot from podcasts. I listen to people's experiences, and, and I don't know. It's it's what I'm into. I, I I make a lot more time for podcasts than I do for YouTube videos. Like I don't watch any streams. You know why? Because I work in TV, and the last thing I want to do when I get home is watch more moving video. <laughs> You've seen enough, and it's hard for people to understand. You know, it might be hard for people to understand that. Like that might sound weird, but I'm surrounded by TV production all day, and by moving video all day, and and analyzing video, and looking at video, and picking good video, and pointing out bad video. Like that's all I do. It's all I do, right? So, do I want to do that when I get home? Not really. Um, and that's probably why I don't watch stuff like Critical Role or other shows because I try not to watch a lot of TV when I get home. Like I really, there's a few shows I watch that I select to watch and I make time to watch them with my wife and, and that's really it. Like I really stay away from a lot of TV unless I have to. And I consider watching streams basically watching TV. It's the same same thing to me. So Yeah. And with the, the podcast, I know you talked on your um, page that you've been designing the logo and putting together theme music and uh, any additional updates on your thoughts on how the podcast is going to run? Yeah, so I had a podcast for a long time. Um, I've done two versions of it now called the Nubidian Minicast. Um, I started that in 2010, uh, back when when I had started, you know, this whole – RPG community being a member, you know, when I started out in the RPG community and and sort of put myself out there, I, you know, the, the podcast did fairly well. I got nominated for an Emmy that that year, and and I had I had a decent audience, and I, I enjoyed the format because it was a short five to seven minute show where I answered a listener's question. Um, I did that again last year, thanks to James Tricasso and his Don't Split the Podcast Network. They invited me on, and I. I came on and I relaunched a mini cast and, and I had fun doing that. But I think this time around I'm going to try to do something a little more long form. Um, or I, I may just decide that, well, this episode will be a mini cast, but next episode will be an interview. And, you know, now I'm going to play with the format a little bit only because I'd, I'd, I'd like to get into interviewing like people from the RPG industry. Um, that's something that I never really did a lot of with the minicast. I sort of just answered listeners' questions and, and you know, gave DMing tips and, and that sort of thing. But I think that that DMing tips thing is kind of played out to an extent. Like there's so much of it going on. Right. That maybe I could find something else to do. You know, I've, I, God knows I've sat in a lot of interviews in my life in my career, right? Like I do, uh, you know, I, I, I run, uh, sports, um, sports programming and a lot of that programming has, you know, it's interviews and feature stories and that sort of thing. Uh, so I've sat in many interviews in my life and who knows, maybe I could do some RPG interviews with some interesting folks in the RPG community. That's something I'd like to do. And do you have some guests lined up already? Um, maybe kind of, sort of, okay. uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> One of the things, one of the things that I'm lucky, one of the things that I'm lucky that I've been doing this for a long time is that you know, I have I've made some connections, I guess, where I can at least you know type out an email to someone and 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 get a response. Sure. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm trying. Hey, remember me? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, to be honest with you, to answer your question, and I don't know when you're going to post this, but. Not right now, but I have sent out feelers already, and I certainly do have a list of people I want to interview and, and hope to get on. So we'll see. Great. We'll and see. is that is that have its own feed yet, or that that's not out yet? It's not out yet, but it will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my 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 patrons will get the first crack at it, and then everything else will go public. If, you know, it'll go public eventually, but the patrons will get the first. So I know you mentioned it a few times, but how can people find that if they want to support your stuff or at least see what you you have to offer? So my Patreon, I just want to say that that 
and I'm not pimping it too much because I don't want to be a spammy guy in my Twitter feed. And Twitter is really my primary method right now for getting, you know, putting my stuff out there. I have my blog still, whatever. But um, I really started the Patreon to kind of force myself to to be more involved in the community because I enjoy it. Like I really do enjoy putting my work out there or writing a review or just talking D&D or that sort of thing. But I found that I was running out of time to do it because I'm just so busy. So I wasn't doing enough, not because I didn't want to, but because I really couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, maybe a patron would force me to treat it with a little more respect. And sometimes you hear people say, well, if it's turning into a job or if you find it, you know, not enjoyable, you shouldn't be doing it. But that's not really what this is about. Right. It was more about I really was so exhausted at the end of the day or tired or, or running out of time that I was having a, a hard time putting stuff out there. So I said, well, you know what, maybe a patron will, will, will help jumpstart my, my, um, jumpstart my, my, what's the word I'm looking for? My, I lost motivation, it. my motivation. Right. And at the same time, I thought I could do something good. Right. So like, the, the Patreon, part of the Patreon's proceeds are going to go to the American Diabetes Association. Um, I lost my, my mother to diabetes in 2017. And it's, you know, it's a terrible disease. It's, and it's something I'm kind of passionate about. You know, diabetes took someone from me that I, you know, that I loved. And, and I figured, well, you know, it's not like I need the money. It's not like, you know, I need to do this as a career. I need to supplement my income writing about D and D and, and, you know, and, and for many people they do, for many people, it is a career for many people. It's something, right. it, you know, and that's great. You know, I'm, I'm privileged enough where I, you know, I have a nice job. I have a nice career. I, you know, I don't, I don't really need to do this. And, and did I need to start a Patreon? No, but I, I do feel like I should give back to, to something I'm passionate about. And if I can, if, you know, if I can do that through the Patreon, why not? So some of the money that I'm going to earn through the Patreon, I'm going to give, give to the ADA. That's great. Um, which is, you know, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into donating to the patron. If, if, if you don't feel I'm offering enough of the patron, please don't, don't feel you like, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, play the violin strings here. So you donate to the, so you give to the Patreon. No, yeah. you know, no, I, and I don't, I don't take it that way. And I think you and I are in a similar boat where I have, I have a full-time job. I have a career. I'm, I'm not doing this to, to, make money in any way and i've had a patreon page for a few years now that i think i mention on twitter a few times a year maybe yeah i feel very self-conscious about putting it out there for some of the reasons that you're touching on right now yeah it's weird right it's just strange and i've been putting out content on my blog and these podcasts and another podcast around with my friend they're they're fun to do it's a hobby it's a side interest and at the same time, I've put out, I don't know, a lot of free content over yeah. the years. And getting any type of, of feedback of people looking at my articles, writing comments about them, listening to a podcast, and responding to that. I think Patreon is another way to get that kind of feedback that people care. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we support your stuff. Like, keep doing it. Yeah. And in this world where culture moves so fast and you spend a week or a month or whatever creating something and then it's swallowed up by the internet in a few hours and gone <laughs> like getting some type of feedback that's a little bit more tangible helps creators i think it helps with that motivation piece you're mentioning and both of us have tiers where it's a dollar it's like hey yeah. if you're a dollar you're a supporter and you have access to stuff, you know it's it's complicated. I, I realize it's complicated. It's complicated, and and it's and like I said earlier, like I really do feel like um, like an anxiety about putting my stuff out there. Like you would think I wouldn't, because I've been, you know, this is my tenth year on Twitter and and being a part of the community. And I, you know, I do feel like I do feel like I'm a part of the community, even though I may not be published on the DM Guild or I may not have my name on a hardcover. You know, I and I do think I have something to add to the to the dialogue, and I and I love doing it, but I do feel self conscious about a lot of the stuff I put out there and, and putting myself out there, and it's just it's a weird it's a weird sort of sort of feeling. Not not gonna lie. So I don't know. I'm a little. It's a, I'm going through a weird weird moment 
right now with the whole Patreon thing and, and the whole streaming thing and my, you know, trying to take it a step further from being a guy on Twitter who voices his opinion every now and then. <laughs> well, I can only speak for myself, but I want you to keep voicing your opinion. I want you to keep putting yourself out there. I, I've definitely benefited over the years from from all the stuff you've been putting out there. I mentioned this on the first time I, I had you on the podcast. That you're the one who gave me my first article uh, I, way back when I had an idea for an article and reached out to you and said, hey, would you be interested in running this? And you're like, sure. And, I, re I remember that, the, the, the newsletter. Yes. And yeah. from that, I started the blog. And from that, I started doing interviews with people. And that turned into a podcast. Mm -hmm. And... Well, I'm glad I could help in some form. I, you know, I still get emails from people asking me, "Oh, do you take guest posts? Do you accept?" And I, yeah, of course I do. It's, you know, the more you guys write for the site, the less I have to. <laughs> and and I think you know, all all of us that have been a part of this like blogging community since the 4E days, and you know, ever kind of now trying to figure out the new technology and how can we still have a voice and. What can we create and do people want to support that? I, I, I think it's a complex topic and it's okay to talk about it in the open and say like, you know, I'm okay saying like, yeah, I have a Patreon. I certainly want people to support it. I'm a little bit ambivalent because I feel weird about that. But at the same time, I feel like it's a good thing. And I, I think your Patreon is a good thing. I'm, I'm backing your, your site. So I'm uh, pr happy to be a backer of your Patreon, and I hope it continues Thanks. to be successful. And I think you're donating uh, some of that to the ADA, which is just a, a great touch. Yeah, that's just something that you know. My, my, well, I, and I write about it in the Patreon intro there. Uh, my mom was a big fan of her son, um, and and what that means is, you know, she was really proud of the stuff I did. She was really proud of my career. She was really proud of, you know, when I when I when I won an Emmy for the first time, my my mother paid for it. You know, you have to pay for those things. Um, they don't just give it to you. Um, Especially the group ones. I'm, I'm referring to the group ones. Like I didn't win an independent uh, individual Emmy. I won. I was part of a group. The the team won an Emmy. It wasn't just me. Right? An adventuring party won it. Yeah. Won so, a trophy. So so when you win one of those things, you have to pay for it. You don't you don't you don't they don't give you the statue just because. And I wasn't gonna buy it. Like I said, well, I'm fine with the paper certificate saying I won it. I don't need the trophy. And my mother was like, absolutely not. I'm paying for it, and you're gonna have it because you worked hard for it. So she was very proud of, you know, my job and very proud of my, my hobbies. Like she loved the fact that I played D and D still, like she remembers when I was a teenager and I used to play and, and, um, you know, when I lost my mom, it was, you know, it was, you know, it, it, it was unexpected. Um, and I just feel like, you know, if I could do a little something to honor her memory, then, then I'm going to do it, you know, and the patron just, you know, it feels right, you know, it feels right doing something, doing something creative and, and letting that creativity somehow, you know, go towards, towards something that honors her, I think is, is fitting. So. And, and I'm really excited to see all the things that you're going to be doing with the Patreon, the podcast, and also the streams, because you're, I think it gives you an outlet to combine your professional work with your hobby. And that's something that I've been doing over the years with psychology and gaming and writing articles about that and interviewing people on those types of subjects. Um, but I think putting your mind to work on the streaming side and whenever the technological glitches get worked out, I'm just really excited to see what you start putting out there because I think it's going to be awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's see what, let's see what I can do. I'm, I'm, I'm good at television. Let's see how good I am at, uh, internet streams. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it translates. Right. <laughs> uh, but listen, it, it could be a simple, listen, I've seen some great streams and to me, you know, the, the, the great content is really the, the important thing is the content, right. And what it looks like, eh, you know, you could, you could forgive, you could forgive a bad presentation if the content is good. And, you know, I think content is king and everything else is, you know, everything else is secondary. Well, so, and it, um, if you're enthusiastic about it and motivated and your heart's in it, yeah. I think that, that translates in and a if, big way. 
Yeah, I think so too. So we'll see. I'm excited. I, I, I'd, I'd love to get people on camera and do some interviews, maybe do like a uh, – uh, I joked about it the other day on Twitter, but the more I think about it, the more I like the idea of being the Howard Stern of, of D&D talk, right? Sure. <laughs> and having like an interview show and maybe, you know, I don't know, something fun like that. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what I come up with. I, I got I to gotta come up with something quick though because I already launched a Patreon and right now – you know, I I need to start putting content out there. So I'm, supporters are going to be knocking down your email. No, no, like, well, like what's up? No, no, this month for sure. There's there's content coming this month. So, so I don't want to let anybody down. One of my biggest fears is failing. You know, flat on my face. So, well, and if you need someone to respond to the uh, general's distress signal, let me know. I'm I'm ready. Uh, so you like the idea? You like that campaign idea? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. Right. I've been I haven't been invited, but I'm in. All right. Remind me on Twitter. I'm going to share some of the artwork with you, like 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 the 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 asteroid where Lando lives. I think came out pretty cool. It's I modified some artwork. Like, listen, I got to be honest, and I know you know people get a lot of heat for this, but but I don't draw, and you know a lot of the artwork is stuff I found on the internet and and whatnot that I you know it was meant always for private play, that which is why I don't really stream the games because a lot of the artwork isn't mine and really isn't mine you know and i don't feel right making money off someone else's work either right so i gotta that's another thing i gotta figure out how i would how i would deal with that you know because well, i mean if the patreon blows up you, you can hire an artist yeah well uh, that's different <laughs> that's different but for, for a private home game you know who has right. who hasn't borrowed someone's art for a private home game you know? oh sure yeah, I always just try to. I always attribute it to like, hey, here's where I found this. Yeah. So. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on and chatting for a bit. Good luck with the uh, Patreon. I'm sure we'll, we'll stay in touch as always through Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, where can people find you if they're not already following you already? So you could find me at NubiDM, uh, at NubiDM, and I also have a website, NubiDM.com, and then the Patreon is at Patreon.com slash NubiDM. Uh, I think there's a pattern there, right? I think NubiDM is, uh, is uh, I keep hearing that name. That's, yes. <laughs> it's N-E-W-B-I-E-D-M. I was joking with someone the other day because remember that, that website's 10 years old, and I was telling someone the other day, I go, man, I struck Google Gold when I <laughs> when I started that blog because <laughs> you Google NubiDM now, and, and how many new DMs have maybe Googled that name? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> Just like built-in marketing. Yeah, I'm like, man, I unknowingly I struck like Google Gold. <laughs> yes. Which unfortunately hasn't translated to real gold. <laughs> yeah, now you need like newbie streamer or something. Yeah. <laughs> Dot com. Uh, um, well, yeah, excellent. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, sir. And and, and and if I could just say one more thing, please. The, the one thing that I do enjoy. Uh, if there's someone who doesn't know me, listen, is that I really do enjoy interacting with people on Twitter. So if you take the time to to follow me and 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 talk to me on Twitter, I will do my best to interact and and have fun on there because I don't, you know, what's the point of having a Twitter account if you're not going to talk to people? So I, I do enjoy interacting and I use Twitter a lot. I'm, a, you know, I'm a power user and and you know, so if you seek me out there, I will, you know, I'll take the time to. To chat you up. And if newbie DM comes to your town and you share a drink with them, you will walk out alive. You will walk out alive, and we'll take a we'll, we'll have a good time. Yes, I can confirm. Actually, I'll be in New York uh, in two weeks. So if anybody's right. listening from New York, yeah. there you go. You're going to get all kinds of DMs <laughs> now. People sliding into your DMs to, looking for meetups. I'm taking my wife to the Tonight Show, actually. So oh, fun. Yeah, fantastic. So, all right. Good. Well, have a good evening, sir. All right, Mike. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, sure. Take care. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks to Enrique Bertrand for coming on the show. Always great to talk to him and looking forward to hopefully he runs that campaign because I, I keep telling him that if he creates that campaign, I definitely want to be a player. So as he mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter. He's very active on there at NewbieDM. And if you're interested in checking out his Patreon page, uh, again, that's uh, patreon.com slash newbiedm. If you're interested in checking out my Patreon, that's uh, patreon.com slash theiddm. Uh, both of us are offering different ways to get involved in generating content and uh, helping our creative efforts. And thanks to rpgresearch.com for sponsoring the podcast. 
also just want to let people know that I put out an article last month, uh, later in the month, about a tool to assist with getting to know your characters a little bit better. So I spoke about this tool that I sometimes use in my clinical work and how that might be used to understand the values of the characters you're running at the table, either a player character that you're playing in a game or maybe an NPC that you're running as a dungeon master or game master. I think the article uh, could be helpful in trying to flesh out some of these NPCs and make them a little bit more dynamic for your players. So you can check that out. That's at my blog, uh, theidm.wordpress.com. That was an article posted on March 28th titled, What Do You Value? So check that out. And as always, uh, you can contact me on Twitter at theidm if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, or observations. Once again, thank you for listening.